0: Hey y'all, welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia Peanut Team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between.
1: Ah, we're all back again with episode 42. This is All About the Pod. And today we got a group Glenn Harris, we got Eric Prosco. Got Scott Tubbs and we got Mark Abney. Uh, and before we get started on this, I wanna kinda let, let everybody know, you know, we're we're coming off this is Friday, we're coming off the Georgia Peanut Tour. And I wanted to give a shout out to all of the folks that helped on that tour. And I'm mainly talking about the, the local people. Um the sheriffs in both Seminole and and Decatur County were awesome. I mean, super, super awesome. Eric, you wasn't there, but this is the first time that we've made it through towns, country, I mean, you know, the countryside, whatever it is. This group, man, they they were with us the whole day. So
0: you had to escort the
1: whole day. The whole day. And I mean, they had it. Stop driving. It was perfect. And so I want to throw that shout out to them. I also want to throw a shout out to all the people that allowed us to come in and visit their sites. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the growers, the... The um, LMC, we had uh, APGG, I'll get it right. Uh, that was awesome. They did a great job. And then um, we had the John Deere Place. Uh, Sun South. Sun South. There you go. Um, you think I'd remember that. But they did an awesome job as far as giving them a sense of what this equipment is it's costing these days and what it takes to farm. So I think that was a new approach or a new insight to some of this. And so I think it was wonderful. Um, And also a good shout out to, you know, the two County agents that helped us Brian Hayes and Justin Odom. That that was a pretty good deal. They, they helped get this thing pulled together. So just wanted to say that real quick Um, and a big shout out to Chris Butts for leading the tour. He did a great, great job as well. So uh, let's talk about what's going on. Um, we got a chance to see, I think in my mind, probably the worst dry land area that we've got in the state down in, in Seminole and Decatur County. But it's not the only place that has problems. We um, we do have quite a bit out there that dry land that's coming out of the ground right now that 115, 120 days old. So that kind of thing is um, not what we want to see, but it's happening. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as as we go along, but y'all hear me all the time. I wanted to kind of give Glenn the mic to let him kind of go over
2: some of the things he's been hearing yeah, I go, go teach questing but uh I wanted normally i don't you know don't have a lot to say this time of year, and we're digging it all, but it is time when we when we realize if we had a calcium problem, we find pops, and uh I said it during the field day you know there's no there's no leaf symptom for calcium deficiency, so unfortunately we really don't don't know how well we did on, on, you know, providing calcium until we until we turned them over. and um, But I got a call from a county agent this, this week, and I, I guess I never really thought all the way through it this way. He wanted to know if we could estimate, you know, how much that hurt him as far as pops because he had a grower that put on uh, calcitic lime, high-cal lime late. And, you know, we we like to put lime out at planting. Um, gypsum goes out of bloom time, and you can go later because gypsum is more soluble. Anyway, he had some pops, and he's like, how much do you think that hurt me? And I'm like, well, you know, if you if had high calcium to start with, it shouldn't have hurt you at all. You know, it's hard to tell, and, and you have to have water to get calcium, so there's a lot of things. But I got to thinking as a scientist how you, how you would document that. And, you know, I guess one thing you could do is is you could, like, mark out a, a you know, square, you know, three-foot-by-three-foot area and, and pick up all, the, all the, the pops that were laying on the ground after the harvester went through and then, I guess you'd have to compare, you know, count that many pods and see how many that would have weighed, you know, and it would be hard because you might not get the same exact size of every pod that was a pop. But anyway, you could you can kind of estimate it. But I said something about, you know, it could hurt your 50%. And he said, yeah, it might have been that way. But I think it always looks worse than it is too a lot of times uh, because, you know, when you see those pops on the ground, you don't, you still don't know what got in the basket, right? I mean, it's the, the ones on the ground are the – that's, right. That's and, right, and the majority of you know a lot of them are a lot of them. If you see a shell on the ground, a lot of them are pops when you when you look at them. Unfortunately,
1: and then you know we got a you know that brings up a good idea. I mean, we had what three weeks of dry weather, and you may say, "Hey, um, I got irrigated. This shouldn't have happened." Yep. But down in some of these areas, these these pivots are huge, yep. and we can't get it around very quickly. And so, if we got behind, and which we did in some of those. Um, that could have led to that very
2: easily. Yeah, where you just have a, a breakdown or delay that that critical period. You know, you just never know. I see it all the time. Um, you got to, you know, it's one thing to have the calcium out there, but you do have to have the water to get it into the into the developing nut. So right. right, right. But you know, and you know, just take take note of that for next year. I guess you know, you know, problem is we don't always put peanuts back in the same field. So so really, you know, also you know makes you realize. Got to have really good soil samples going in. That's why I said let me look. Let me look at your last soil sample too, see see where you were, Um, right? So, and grid sampling would help. Um, We have talked about trying to do grid sampling, pegging zone, and variable rate gypsum, but I think we got a little work to to figure out.
1: I mean, we got (laughs) to increase the the potential for some of the equipment to work right. Yeah. But the other thing is is that's awful not it when you're sometimes you're like, oh, there's a big not, glug,
2: there's a little yeah. Glug, not only the the side, but trill- he kind of coughs it out it's a lot of times. Time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 That sounds good nah, with a new bike. It does. He's like he's he's like he's doing a
1: wrap or something yeah. over there. You know? I don't know. I got this new equipment. I just feel like amped up today. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. But I mean, we do have to get get it through the equipment, and I, you know, you wish it was like pelletized or something like that that you yeah. could get a good even spread, but you can't. But so, you know, and the big thing about gypsum, it's one of those. It's kind of like Bob says when you close the fur, it's done. You know, you got one chance to get it out there, unless you want to do multiple trips, right? But yep. I mean, that's not something people do. We've tried,
2: we've tried splitting it, and uh, and you're right, it's a fairly narrow window when you got to get it out. You think about the person, that, the the people that are providing the gypsum, make it available to the grower. That's a logistics nightmare because they got to have it all in place for like a three week period. You know, mm-hmm. so anyway, it's uh yeah, it would be good. And we've also looked at different rates, but it's kind of a thing with gypsum. It's like you know, if you need it, it's kind of an all or nothing. Just go with a good rate. Uh, we've looked at reduced rates, and it, it just doesn't seem to matter as much.
0: Um, can you over-apply it, Glenn, since yeah. we're talking about the dist- the uh, uneven distribution that we get from some of the buggies that are around yeah. the state? Can you over-apply? Um,
2: I think you can. Um, I hadn't thought about that in a while, but if you go back to that data, we did a lot of uh, data when uh, we switched from Georgia Green to O6G. We thought O6G, we going to need more uh, gypsum. We went up to 1,500 pounds. Our recommendation is 1,000 and we actually did see pretty clearly that the yields would start dropping off at that high level. 1250 was still not too bad, but once you got up to 1500 pounds, it would drop off. And the best we could figure, it was, uh, it was starting to interfere with potassium. Hmm. And we've, we've getting more and more, a little bit more potassium issues on, on a peanut here and there. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't overdo on the gypsum.
1: Yeah. That's a good thing to know. Well, you're, we're, we're at the end here. I mean, we're, <clears throat> can, uh, off right in the mic. like ah. um, so we're at the end here is there things that you know from the weed perspective I mean we're coming in, I reckon next year you would think we're going right behind cotton but it could be corn um, but we're going into another crop behind peanut I mean are there things that we can do weed wise especially in corn I know there's got to be stuff right. that we can help
0: well let produce. me let me just say a couple things about peanuts I'm still getting calls about peanut weed management now uh, especially on some fields that may have been later planted, but we're really past the point of, you know, at some point you got to say, all right, I can't do anything else with herbicides. We have these things called pre-harvest intervals that we're supposed to follow, so that kind of limits our ability to use herbicides past a certain point. So, you know, and if if we're making a management decision, you know, at 110 days, you know, we need to think about, well, what happened before that 110 days to get us, you know, why are we having this problem? now right and and we really can't control it well with the herbicide um you know there's one thing we can do morning glory is a huge problem right so we can still spray aim prior to digging to help with the desiccation of morning glories uh which would help keep doesn't control you're not getting control at that point you're getting desiccation and then you're drying that vine out so when it goes through the inverter Uh, And then the combine, it's not, it's less, it's not, I'm not going to say it's never going to wrap, but it's less likely to wrap, more likely to break. And then you don't have to go in there with your pocket knife and try to cut it out of all the moving parts that that get morning glory tends to get sucked up into. What does it do to the peanut? Just speckle it up. Yeah, you can get, at that point in time, you know, we're, you know, we're at harvest, right? So getting a little foliar burn on there does nothing.
3: Right, you know, right. And
0: there's, there, there's been there, when when that work was being done. Obviously, we do studies that are weed free to look at the effects of just the herbicide on the at the plant. At that time, no yield loss at all, or no 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 problems. You know, we
1: we have been talking with growers more and more about mowing some peanuts that mm-hmm. are real thick. You know they. They always come back. Well, why can't I use something like Aim yeah. to knock the leaves off? It really doesn't. It really knock
0: doesn't. The off. It really yeah. doesn't. It just turns them. It's Aim is a PPO herbicide, much like Cobra or Blazer. Right. So when we spray Cobra or Blazer or Aim on a peanut, you just kind of burn the leaves a little bit. It doesn't knock them off, and so it's not really a, a defoliator in that sense. Uh, it's, uh, so you just get some. You know, if if we were going to spray it on a peanut at the wrong time, you can say oh, I burnt my peanuts, but they would. They would eventually grow out of it and you wouldn't even know that you did it.
3: So Yeah. So, now
0: also on that just to remind growers that it does not work on small flower morning glory, which we have a fair amount of So if you're not sure if you have small flower morning glory or one of the other seven or eight species that are around there, uh you get with your county agent and they can help you identify it or send us a picture, we'd be happy to look at it or uh, but it will not do anything on small flower morning glory. So.
1: Hm. Will anybody anything work on small flower? No.
0: Not at that time. No. Not at that time. But I, you, I wanted to bring up the point, you know, you can mow, right? That is nobody wants to think about mowing. But if you're in a disaster, we do that in our plots all the time. And we're, you know, we've got, you all know, we've got weedy and we got very weedy plots and clean plots. And if we're trying to salvage a trial to harvest and it's overly weedy because of the treatments that we imposed or didn't impose, we'll go in there with a the flail mower and mow the top one or two inches off of the plant. And uh, that makes it much easier to harvest, and you really don't do anything. to the No, field. it doesn't seem to
1: hurt at all. So. I mean, the biggest thing that we have to worry about with the flail mower, you know, which we're taking about the top third off when mm. we're trying to get rid of some things, is not to do that too far ahead. Now, with, with weeds, I expect you do that whenever you want, to right? Right, because you're I, not going to hurt right, much. Right, right.
0: The other thing we do still have a label for Paraquat in a non-selective applicator. You know, back in 2004. Uh, when pigweed became a serious problem, everybody was pulling their uh, rope wicks out of the barn or out of the weeds or whatever. And we were doing things to to manage Palmer. And we do have a label for that. It's very good on Palmer. It's very good on coffee weed. And it's very good on Florida beggar weed. Um But it's part of a, it's part science, part art. Those machines aren't perfect. You, you got to play around with them. It takes a little bit of finagling and Trial and error till you get it adjusted right so you're not getting more on the peanut plant than you need to.
1: Right. And then so, have you seen a tick up of increase in I that? I haven't
0: really, you know, every once in a while somebody will say, Hey, I need the rope wick. Or, or, you know, I would say rope wick, but I hate to say that. I would rather use the term non selective applicator because the rope wick is sort of an older machine. There are some right. newer ones that have come out that are probably a little bit better than the old rope, quote, rope wicks that we used to use or used to make on your own. Um so um
1: So who's making those? Do you know what the company Well is?
0: one is uh grass the uh, Grassworks Weed Wiper is uh is the roll, a carpet roller. That's and everything I'm talking about we've tested over the years. And then LMC Cross has has one. Okay. And then Smut, there's a company called uh Smuckers out in the west coast that makes one as so well. So
1: not 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 the peanut butter company. No.
0: No. No, no that's that's
1: kind of a No. That's a conflict of interest, I would think. No.
0: But 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 we're really too it depends when we're getting kinda of close to when we can't do that legally as well because of the pre harvest interval. Right, so we've got to pay right. attention to those. So but it also makes you think, all right, so if I've got weeds, what happened? What worked? What didn't work? Of course we always see a lot of coffee weed or sickle pod now, so um that's always a challenge for us. Um but anyway, I'll I feel like I'm I'm babbling. So. You're
1: babbling. Well, you know you do in your old age, Doug, <laughs> uh, What are you seeing out there? You got a chance to look around on the tour and and kind of get a handle on what's going on out there. What are you seeing around?
3: Well, yeah, I just had a 50 mile an hour flyby um, for the majority of the area. You know, we only got to, to step foot in several fields, um, but I saw a lot of a lot of weeds. Um, grasses and, and pigweed and what again at the 50 mile an hour flyby and my my eye is not as trained as a weed scientist uh, as it was when I was in grad school so several years removed it looks like beggar weed um, so fairly tall beggar weed out there that we were driving by so I mean, those are gonna be issues at dig time as Eric was saying but uh, a lot of diseases that we were uh, that we were seeing the dry land areas those corners um, I, I well, Mark and I talked a little bit yesterday, that I'm guaranteed there had to have been spider mites out there, uh, just the, the way the damage looked from, uh, from being dry land corners and stuff, um, and uh, I, I will say since the last time I've been on the podcast, I have rated several of my plots for tomato spotted wilt virus, in um, some trials that were early planted, and, and uh, we were digging this week, and my gosh. I've had ratings. I, I for the first time ever, I had a plot mode go a hundred percent tomato spotted wilt virus. There wasn't God. a single.
0: What, what was the uh, uh, in that scenario, Scott? You, we know all of the factors. What were the factors in that scenario but when we look at tillage, row spacing? You know, all the yeah. the seven the seven deadly sins, I guess, Absolutely. of tomato spotted wilt virus.
3: Yeah, so we were per, probably perfect storm. We mm. were April twenty fifth planting, so too early, conventional tillage um in this field it was designed to be a replant trial so um skippy stands there were skippy stands in the field they weren't all skippy stands of course we have control plots out there but when the majority of the field you know, from from plot to plot some of them were purposely skippy stands so that we would trigger a replant decision to go back later and replant um so i mean but i had a single plot go 100% but i would say on average my plots out there were were majority of them were sitting between sixty and eighty percent.
0: What, what was the cultivar on that one? That, that one was like, Georgia
3: Six G. Mm-hmm. But I do have some twelve Y check plots in that same trial, and I bet I was about fifteen percent tomato spotted wilt virus with twelve so Y when I was sitting at seventy five percent on average. Well, I can, Georgia you, 6G. I can tell you,
1: I can tell you, twelve Y when you do it the wrong way, when you when you stack the deck against any variety that has good resistance, it can fail. There was that place over in West Georgia that was planted early, didn't use any insecticide, or if they did it wasn't anything good. And they were real wet, very skippy stands, and that's probably the most twelve Y I mean the most tomato spotter wheel I've ever seen in twelve Y. But I mean it's it's like anything else. It you know, we gauge all the varieties based on the resistance they got, but it, I mean you can't stack the deck and expect it to, to work in your favor.
3: That's for Yeah, certain. these are resistant varieties. Not like these aren't like perfectly, completely. They're not resistant, right? They're tolerant. They're not. They're immune. not exactly They're not immune. They're not immune. not immune. Exactly. Yeah. So that's. And
1: a, I hate that. I, I'm I'm getting more and more where we sh- <laughs> maybe we need to talk to some of the guys that you know. It's all about that. Whether well, the tomato spot wheel resistant. And this and that and maybe it does need to go to tomato spot wilt tolerant.
4: Well, or, I mean, if or you moderately read, resistant, if or you, something. If you read the papers, that Babu and everybody, put we don't call it resistance anymore. We call it field resistance, and they call it field resistance because in the lab they're just as susceptible. You can you can inoculate 6 G, it will get spotted wilt just like any other, just like,
1: like flow run, just like it. a flow run, yeah. it'll yeah. get it. Yeah.
4: But in the field, it either gets it at a lower rate, or it continue; it doesn't show symptoms, and it still yields. So, the term that we've been using for some time now is field resistance, because right. it's it's certainly not resistant.
1: Right, and growers need to know the difference with that, yeah. uh, because I've I've you know we've all been approached by that. Well, y'all said it was resistant. Why am I still having problems? And and it is the environmental cues, the culture, you know, and that's why we have all the cultural practices that
3: kind of back up the whole uh, reduced. Tomato spot of wilt. So, yeah, but I mean, when you're in a research plot, of course, you're, um, you've got treatments and everything's under the same management. So, we're trying to limit as much error in the field as possible. So, on a comparable basis, the, my 12 Y plots, I mean, these were the green islands that, you know, Brandonman uses that Mm -hmm. term on a lot of his peanut root, root knot nematode (laughs) resistant trials and stuff. Um, there were green islands out there that you could see and, and definitely know just walking past. That one's definitely a 12 Y. Compared to the others, I mean, we had six G plots out there that were twelve to fifteen inches from lapping, and they're, I mean, we're, plants were were tiny, and the twelve Ys were just looking full, and right, the canopy right. was was excellent, and everything looked great. Um, but you know, going back to things we saw last day, I did see a field. I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before. Uh, we drove past a field that's already been planted cover crop. It was drilled small grain uh, of some kind. It was already up about two inches tall. Um, just thinking back, you know, Bob's not here, so Bob, Bob's not gonna be here to talk about weather and stuff, but uh, we, we, we do think it's gonna be uh fairly wet winter this, this winter, from what I, from what I remember. Um, and I well, man, weatherman, I said,
0: it, it's gonna be hot and it's gonna be cold.
1: Well, it was supposed to be dry <laughs> and sometimes, it'll rain and sometimes
0: and
3: it, it
1: won't. won't. And yeah. We- so <laughs> we, had, we had no rain. And you're your right 50% of the time.
3: <laughs> but but get, getting at that it was the, the idea behind that is um, you get into a wet year in the winter and um, you're going to end up with soil erosion when you get a lot of water if you don't have a cover on the field. So, um, you know, if, if we get these, uh, we, we talk about it on occasion, but, um, you know, there's not a lot of emphasis put on talking about cover crops. But cover crop, one of the benefits that, you know, part of the, the, the issue with cover crops is cost for no direct return in economics usually because you're not harvesting seed or anything like that but the soil replace the cost of soil i mean you can't really put a price tag on soil and if you get a lot of erosion in a wet year when you don't have a cover crop out there um, that's where a lot of the benefit comes from you get benefit in weed suppression which can potentially help you on on in the in the spring when you're getting ready uh, things like that. So there's there's other benefits that are hard to put a monetary value on. Um, in years like this is when I say, once you get that crop off, if it's potentially going to be a wet year, um, that's a year to, to possibly think about putting that investment of putting a cover crop out there.
0: You know you know what one of the, and I, I didn't do this work, my colleague did, Dr. Culpeper, but um, one of the best control programs that we've got for Palmer Amaranth would be to turn the land in the fall and then immediately plant your cover crop, and those are two cultural practices that there's no herbicide there at all that would do a significant amount of good in controlling amaranth.
1: And that's one of the things we we've talked about that you know about trying to do some more fall tillage and see if you could bottom plow in the fall ahead of peanut, put a cover crop, and then strip into it. Mm-hmm. You know when it's time to plant, and so you're doing you're putting that cover crop on, you're getting the benefit of open those root channels up and all through the fall, but it's just one of the things we got to find a spot to do it and do it well. Uh, The other thing about that is too, like Scott just said, is there are quite a few things that we could benefit from the cover crops. It's just getting them paid for, getting them in, fertilizer, seed, you know, and the more and more we talk with these companies, they're trying to find ways for people to, I reckon, capture more carbon credits if you want to call it that. And the, I know talking with several of them. That's the first thing I always say. Well, incentivize the growers by paying for the seed and paying for the, a little bit of fertilizer, and you'll get it done. So I don't know where that would ever go, but hey, that's something that that some of them need to think about. Well, Mark's over there just not doing nothing. He's just kind of piddling.
4: What uh you know?
0: He's he's thinking of. It.
4: Well, I was trying not to
0: interrupt people who were talking. He Scott, was, was trying to having a conversation. He was just thinking about what he's going to say.
1: Is that what it is? is it? You know, usually he just jumps right on in, but he's been mm-hmm. kind of what you. You know, Glenn was here, so he didn't get a chance to have the microphone. Well, yeah, let's go back. So. I didn't have
4: a microphone for the by, first by the way, thirty Mark, minutes.
0: So. I, I, <laughs> say, <laughs> I was
4: talking my head off. Y'all just couldn't hear it. <laughs> so I think. <laughs> what I do I to- you mean you didn't hear
3: me? <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> not at I all. I think
0: I told you this uh, on that day, but I appreciate the plug he gave me at the uh, Peanut and Cotton Tour. About how good my plots look, but I also thought your presentation was uh, one of the best ones there with the root knots and oh, showing. I thought it, you know you had everybody paying attention. So uh, he,
1: he we're did. Good. A, he did a good job on the tour at pogus too. I mean, yeah. it was,
4: he captured their attention. I'm blushing, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Mark. Blushing, yeah. I hear you, but you know. Mark Mark says he's a shy dude, but he, he gives a great presentation.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I, somebody came up to me after the, and this is off topic about the shyness thing, and they said, "Oh, you, I don't believe that." And it's like you, you never know what's going on inside somebody's head. That's all I can tell you. right? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. not necessarily shy anymore, even though I'm not like, I took one of those personality tests one time, the whatever they call them, right? It turns out that I am an introvert who likes to be the center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a real conflict. I that, mean, that's, yeah, a, that's, that's a conflict, conflict. right? That's it's a big conflict. It, it makes your life difficult when you when you're like that. So it's it's, a- it's funny you're saying
0: that. I remember as a kid, I didn't like to write or get in front of people to talk. And that's all I do now. It's write. That's it's right. Exactly what? Yeah.
4: I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was have to write a paper or get up and talk in front of anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody. I, and that's like, it's what John, we do for a living. <laughs> it's,
1: it's kind of like, you know, Mark, Mark said that, you know, a lot of people say, well, heck, he looks like he's mad as hell all the time. <laughs> and, and that's true. And a lot of people have said that about that's- me, too. You know, because like on these tours and all, we're all bumping in and out and not talking as much as you would think just in a normal conversation. And it's because we're trying, we're not. Well, you're you're directing traffic. Yeah, we've yeah. got our eyes on things. So we're focused a little bit. I can't get too focused, but I'm focused on something. And so, yeah, you act like, well, he's just not interested in talking to me. And that's not the truth. You had to
3: grab us or slap us or do something, but. Um, I mean, it's it's scary sitting in this room doing the podcast. I mean, those people on that are just the audience; they're just listening. But when we sit, we're sitting here. I am like intimidated. Mark's like got this look on his face while we're recording. It's <laughs> <laughs> like fearing for my life. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, my mom and daddy gave me this look. I don't know. I didn't. I don't.
4: It's not my fault. But to get back to peanuts for a second, Scott was right. We did see spider mites on the tour, and I mean, we didn't stop at any spots, but we saw them. And while we were on the tour, I got a number of texts and calls from county agents and the 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 two main things one was spider mites showing up and i guess they've been in southwest georgia for a while right but they've i got a report from colquitt county of spider mites and um i'm trying to think now who else it doesn't really matter just if you've got peanuts out there as a grower and they've got a month to go still you're not done and uh, i think we said it the other week is you know it, it would be really silly to spend all that money for 110 or 20 days and then blow it in the last 20 or 30 days. And the other thing that probably is going to affect more people is I've gotten several texts and calls about the peanuts are dug and they're covered in worms. It's like we dug these peanuts and there's worms all over them. And that one's come in. I mean, we were, it feels like we were gone for a week. We were only gone for two days and I've gotten several texts. What do I right. do now? Right. What
0: were what, what, what they, Mark? Were they it was were velvet bean caterpillars? Mostly velvet bean.
4: Mostly velvet bean. And that's the thing is they're so, those are so easy to kill that we don't really want to get into that situation because if we, if we do something, if we pay attention and we go out there and check, we can kill them cheaply. We run into questions about pre-harvest intervals, right? When we, we don't really have, there's only one insecticide that I know of and peanut off the top of my head that's going to kill caterpillars. Uh, and I'm going to have to go back and look because I've been on the tour and I hadn't been on, you know, I hadn't had no way to check, to check, but we don't have a lot of options that have one day PHIs, right? And I don't know how y'all read the label, but harvest is not inversion in my mind. Harvest is I mean, when different. the peanuts Plus go in the other crop. Yeah. yeah. Harvest is when they go in the combine. So maybe you buy yourself sometime because they're thinking I got to do this so many days before I dig. But in my mind, it's so many days before you harvest. I could be wrong. I don't know. But um,
1: what about Dimlin? You said Velvet Bean. What I mean is, Dimlin even have a harvest pre harvest interval? It has to, right? It
4: does. Yeah. They and I couldn't tell you off the top of okay. my head. Usually okay. not an issue, but the pyrethroids usually have shorter pre harvest intervals. But even probably because when the companies registered them, they weren't thinking, why would anybody need to spray peanuts the day right, before you right. dig them? Right? They're That's done. Right. right? What you do, but so even the ones that have a one day, there's some pyrethroids that have a one day pre harvest interval on fresh fruit and vegetables. That have a seven day on peanut, just because that's the way the label was written, and so we got to be really careful about that, and make sure that we're paying attention to what doing, we're doing and doing what's right. right.
1: I mean, even though it's you say that on another another crop, it's not. Yes, just because it's, the pre harvest, and yeah. you could
4: say, well, obviously, if I can spray it on a pepper, that's going to be sitting there that, as a that fresh you could fruit. eat right there. Yeah, that <laughs> you could eat right then. That it probably wouldn't hurt you as a as it wouldn't hurt the consumer, and there's probably not going to be any. Residue, but legally, but legally, not, you can't do it. And yeah. so, you know, we got to be very careful about that. And it's there's no guarantee people get really scared just because the caterpillars are there. There's you know, the, the fear is that they're going to eat the peg, they're going to clip the pegs, and then you've lost that pod. And there's certainly no guarantee they're going to do it. And we can't predict when it's going to happen, but it does happen sometimes. Yes, yeah. And it so, does happen. as a grower, if I was a grower, I don't want to have to go through the heartache and stress of seeing caterpillars crawling around on my peanuts after mm-hmm. I dig them. So let's just check. It's super quick. Go out there, check real fast, make sure you don't have a lot of caterpillars. It doesn't have to be zero, right? But you don't want a whole bunch of snakes out there, snake in a big caterpillar when you turn them because it's just opening up the door for something really nasty to happen that doesn't need to happen.
1: And And I will say if you're in these areas where the dry land just is kind of crispy, that's probably not where they're at, right? It's yes, less exactly. very much they're less likely. Them, but yeah, it's a whole lot less likely. Not there, so that's right. Just you just need to don't don't go out and spray everything. That's not what he's trying to say. But
4: um, no, I'm not. So yeah, let's make sure everybody heard that. Go scout. look. That might, was very well, important. You don't even have to really scout. All you got to do is kind of go out there. You don't have to be like you're scouting. You just go out there and check. If you've got a lot of check a couple of places. If you're not finding big caterpillars, don't worry
0: about it. But I'm going to – I dug yesterday, Mark. I'm going to go out after we're done and go look in mine because we, we had – that was near where you did some reading for mm-hmm. me where where there were – we had sprayed Dimmel. so I'm going to just out of curiosity now go out and look and see if we we got any on ours. We'll they're do.
4: they're active, though. They're out there. Yeah, and even, even those growers, I mean, the same thing as with spider mites. If you've got 20 or 30 days to go, you don't really want them to foliate it either. And there's a lot of velvet bean caterpillars out there, so it's – it makes a lot of sense to go out and give them a look. And they're not hard to find. That's the cool thing is they're super easy to find. Go out there, you find them. I know we don't want to spend any more money, but we can kill them cheap. Yeah, and and we've made it this
1: far. We've got to make as good of decisions as we possibly can, uh, which kind of rolls me into the whole maturity thing. We we have probably got as wide of a variety of problems related to maturity as as I've seen in a long time. I mean, we are in the southwest corner all the way up even to I-75. I mean, we are digging some dryland stuff that are 115 to 120 days, uh, just trying to save what's there. Uh, there is no, you know, that three to four weeks of dry weather really hurt us. I can tell you that the southwest is by far the worst place, um, and it appears to be the peanuts that were planted before about May 15th. Anything um I mean, anything after that they've got a long way to go but they're not quite as devastated in this case as as the early ones and we've been getting that, I've been getting texts for the kind of like Mark said the last two days it seemed like it was forever but uh, pictures of boards trying to find out what do you do uh, we've got some fields that look perfect on the board. Open them up; they look like they're ready. They're coming loose in the hole a little bit on the front end. They're tight. They don't have as many in the backside. And say so you go, okay, 138 days, go ahead. Then you get the same ones, crack them open. Even though they're dark, they're just light white skins or or light pink skins. And people are getting happy about wanting to go ahead and dig them. When you got a little bit more in the back, and the way I look at that, if it's irrigated, is hell. There ain't no need to be in no hurry. If your vines are there and they're good, let's let's sit on them. I'm not talking about two weeks, but you could sit on five to ten more days and see if you can um, try to try to mature some more out and get a little bit more weight. Dry land, she says. It's, it's every sample is going to be different. I've I've seen where we've had twenty percent coming off in the front, but that twenty percent. You know, when you look at everything else, there's a huge gap between that 20% and the rest of them. So, yeah, you might want to go try to save what you can, but then you got some that's 5 to 10%, 15%, but you got a boatload that are in the back trying to come on, and the vines look decent. Maybe like I was talking about planting a little bit later, you know, maybe we throw away those first couple of rows on the front side just to let them go and try to make another crop. Scott, um, do you have
4: a video of you doing maturity board checks i mean for people who i mean i'm sure most people that are listening to this know exactly what you're talking about but we may have some not they may be listening just because the show's so entertaining
1: and <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh,
4: and would want to know what it is you're talking about is that you
1: know that's true i mean um for the guys that haven't been around peanuts i mean there are some videos out there you can go and look up peanut maturity board and there's probably some videos out there but it's not
0: actually a board by the way no it's not it's a Not board. made of wood no
4: well, that's what I say we talk about it like we assume everybody knows exactly just, what it is just in case about. everybody was wondering it's not a
0: like a board you Mark probably got paddled with when he was a youngster over there in mostly the county a, mostly a belt actually <laughs> Man,
1: I had those I had those paddles I had the holes drilled in them so it, it took off you know some of the friction but um but no it's a we call it a board and and this was developed quite a quite a long time ago for the ones that don't know, uh, we did have, actually, we did have somebody on the tour the other day that, you know, when we got to where we had the maturity boards laid out and the peanuts, naturally, the the inner layers of the peanut naturally turn colors from white to orange or white, yellow, orange, brown, black as it matures. And so this is an indeterminate crop. And so... It's going to not all be mature at one time. It's going to have kind of a bell-shaped curve. And we had them laid out, and we talked about this. And then I had one guy walk up and said, well, we didn't see the colors. that Those guys were harvesting that field <laughs> or digging that field, and they were all white. Yeah. And I got to tell him, well, it's, you got to take that outer layer off. And so that's what we do with a pressure washer. You got to take the outer layer of the hole off, and then you can lay them out on board. And there's all these – there's these – you know, like I said, there's a white area, a yellow, orange, brown, and black, and there's columns in there. And this has been done by, you know, Jay Williams and Drexler. Is that right, Stan Drexler? Yeah. So they were the two that a long time ago put this together. And if you stack them up the right way based on a certain profile, you can get within, you know, three to five days of when you need to dig. And it's a wonderful tool for us. And county agents do a wonderful job with this, um, and they see hundreds of samples a year, and this gives a grower a better idea on when to dig. Um, what we found out, and Scott, you can throw in any it doesn't always tell you the whole story, and that's that's what I want people to know too. It gives us an idea of where it's at. Um, this year we got some places that are coloring up darker, but the inside's not quite there yet. Then we got some that are not coloring up as dark as they normally would, but they are ready. You know, and part of that is the en- environmental
3: influence um, and various things that we have to deal with. Yeah, and that's where splitting them open and looking at the insides to make sure. Right. Because that, that mesocarp layer is not always accurate, and it depends on the variety too. Um, you know, years ago the Georgia 13 M's they would not advance in anywhere past the brown. They could be as mature as can be, and they would not turn black at all. And 20 VHO is, from my, from what I saw on my trial that we put on the board last week, 20 VHO was kind of mirroring that we, we are not – those just won't turn as black as you would a Georgia 60 and some of our other varieties. So it, it is variety dependent. dependent. Yep.
0: Is there has there been you know there's a, I know in the past few years there's been a lot of work done on like growing degree day models and using that as supposed you know as a, maybe a replacement at some point for the for the board that's not a board. It's actually a piece of plastic. But anyway. Um, <laughs> um, well,
1: it's not even plastic. It's rubber now, right? It's rubber now. Yeah, it's right? rubber it's rubber so, now. So, um,
0: so, but I know there was some work done, you know, you, where, where, you know, where you could do a the degree day modeling and maybe get a little bit closer to the true maturity, optimal maturity for harvest.
1: You can, you can, and we do. We know that about twenty five hundred, twenty four to twenty five hundred growing degree day units uh, normally would be where we think a 06G is is matured out. Now, kind of like the board, like I mentioned earlier, just because you put them on a board, that doesn't tell you the whole story. So if we get a profile on the board that says, hey, I'm 10 days away or 14 days away, then you have to start asking questions. You know, one, what does the vines look like? What's the moisture? You know, disease out there. There's all kind of little things that you want to start asking try to understand, do I need to speed this up or do I just hold where we're at? And that's kind of where I was talking about earlier. We got some of these that look ready right now and growers are getting antsy because, well it's 140 days. That's typically what we harvest at, so we're gonna go ahead and start digging. It's like but if you would wait ten more days, you'd gain three to four hundred more pounds potentially, and the vines are whole. There's no need unless we see them coming loose in the hole. And what I mean by that is when a seed is fully mature, it disconnects itself from the hole. And that skin color goes from a nice pretty pink color to a bronze color. And I'm not talking about when you look at a skin, it's splotchy bronze. It is a complete uniform bronze color. And so that splotchiness has been what, Mark, that's been kind of contributed back to tomato spider wheel. I'm not saying that's what it is, but... Um, so that's that's the thing about that. Now, talk about the degree days.
3: Right. <laughs> um,
4: yes, I think so, Scott.
1: <laughs> well, you're the man when it comes to Manitoba No,
4: I'm not the man, but yeah, yeah. you're right. There's, there, you definitely see some seed coat.
1: So we got to watch all that. Yeah. Now, the degree day thing. Where does that work
4: in a year that's perfect?
1: If you got a, oh my God! Uh, if you got, <laughs> all right. You gotta, you know, At marks the character. All right. But in a typical year where we'll everything, really <laughs> everything does not, you know, you plant, you get them up in five days and you don't miss a beat. You get rain, you got irrigation. Yes, you can gauge growing degree days right. But when you have a year like this year where we, it took 21 days to get some up and then they just, the vigor of the seed just sat there. Uh, I mean, they didn't grow off very well. It took them longer to grow off, longer to start blooming. Um, just didn't do well until about seventy days when we really heated up and started to grow off. I don't know if degree day works that well in those situations because even though you're accumulating, the plant's not utilizing everything it can at that point. I don't think Scott is that. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I tend to agree with that. Um, in- and then the other place that it does not work very well is on dry land. When you're getting rains and temperatures are just perfect, it works well. But you go through three to four weeks of dry weather in the 95, 90 to 95 degree range, when that plant's shutting down, yeah, you can throw that out the window. So that's that's the other thing. So I think we have a lot of tools. But you can't you can't solely go with one thing, and the other thing with the board that is tough sometimes and that people like to do a lot is they know that the most mature pods on peanut plants right around the root, and so they'll go and just grab those and they'll grab enough of those to run a profile, but what that leaves off is that back side of that profile profile and this year we've seen that profile be stretched out, and so that's why when I say so a lot of growers that if the vines are there, even though they look ready on the front end, let's push them because I want to try to bring up that back end if we got it. Um, crazy thing about twelve Y and everybody knows about twelve Y, <clears throat> it's a hundred and fifty to sixty day peanut. We got some hundred and forty day twelve Ys right now that did not bloom late, so everything that it's got is orange to black right this minute. I mean it's or brown, so it's tight on that board. And, and again, I wish we had video so you could see that, but it is tight on the board. And so people are saying, well, it's ready. We need to go ahead and dig them. Well, again, 12 Y tends to lag behind a little bit on grade. It's going to hold them better than any variety we've got. Why are you in a hurry to go ahead and dig them? Mm-hmm. I would still push them. And so I think I think we, unless you got a lot of acres that are holding you back or, or wanting to push you ahead, not holding you back, we need to gain as much weight as well, we can. I still
0: think, you know, and I, I feel this way, and I'm sure you guys do. We're, we just started digging yesterday, and you have the time. You know, you're looking at maturity, but you're also looking at the weather. Right. You know, am I going to get three or four days of drying time? Uh, is there another hurricane coming? You know, you've got all these things that factor into when you're going to dig. You know, and, you, know, you want to dig on the best day possible, but there are other things besides the true maturity that influence the decision on when you decide to go, so that's true. And that's the long
4: term, I mean, they keep saying the long term forecast is for wetter than normal fall, right? Mm-hmm. And if I'm looking at the front end, saying, "Look, I got to go,"
0: right? So I'm, that's right. That's where I'm sort sure of at right now. I'm like, I got some nice days. This is when my help's available. Uh, we're gonna dig some peanuts,
1: and you know, and I don't want anybody to tell me, "Well, Muffert said this," um, you know, and he's gonna look at me one way or another if I don't do that. I know. I mean, that's not what we're doing. We're just trying to provide the most. Accurate information based on what we have all learned and seen and all that. But we do. I mean, believe us, we understand the situations that they get in or everybody gets in. And you do. You have to do what is right for your operation. So if you come to me and say, hey, I'm going to have to go, I, you know, I might say, well, you know, if it was me, I might hold up a little bit. But that's what I just said. If it was me, you have to make that decision. I'm not trying to
4: make your decision for you. Well, you know. all you all you're going off of is what you see on the board, and those peanuts, that field would be good to sit there for five more days or whatever. But if he's got fifteen hundred acres behind it, mm-hmm. well, he can't, right? And he knows that's that, right. and then he has to go. But that's he knows right. that he's leaving something on the table on that field, but he can't leave them. So that's right. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So
1: the only other thing I, you know, I would throw in there just to get people to think about is uh, we are now dealing and digging stuff this you know, May twelfth, May fifteenth type of deal and anything before that, I have seen some samples of some April planted and some May 10th planted that either look exactly alike as far as being ready to roll or the May planting may be ahead by some odd coincidence. And so that might have been the second farm he planted. And so that's the other thing that we've just been saying, hey, at least take a look. Don't get so zoned in to I planted this farm first, so I'm gonna start here first. And this whole dryland thing is kind of throwing that out of whack, anyway. Because if you want to save that dryland crop, you got to go get it, and it might be spread all over the country. It seems like, but or the county, I mean. But um, so yeah, we're we're just throwing out some information for you to kind of at least think about. We don't feel bad if you have to do what you got to do. I mean, that's that's the whole crux of this. We are here to help, not here to hinder. Um, that's for certain. Um, all right, any other topics? What else? Is well, going on? we
4: ought to mention the dryland corners. I mean, it's especially, yes, in, yes. And especially in some areas, make sure they keep those separate. I mean, I think everybody knows that, but it's good to remind people.
1: Yeah, and we don't, you know, we don't, we get all trapped up in that. We put a digger in the field and they just go and they need to dig them up. But I tell you, like Mark said, it, this is not a time that we need to take a chance on the dryland corner in the southwest part of the state. If you're dryland, even if they look, somewhat okay. I would dig them and I would harvest some things and put them into another trailer because that one little thing, and there have been some aflatoxin already seen. Um, I'm not sure that we've had any grades go bad yet, uh, but I know that we've seen some damage You know, by us going and looking at some fields in the dryland area, pulling some up. So I know the potential's out there. And this was in a very bad field, I, I would say, that I was in. It's not every field, but the potential is there, so I would definitely not mix those loads because tell you, you know, you need to have all that good peanut on that one wagon, not not the other. I would let. I'd rather you lose, you know, what half of a truckload
4: versus ten or twelve. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take that many uh, dry corner peanuts to make three and a half percent.
3: No, it does and that's not. That's your threshold, it does to, not. you
4: know. So. We don't want to do that. And I know a lot of people say, well, that's just, that just makes it tough.
1: Well, I guess, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. But I tell you what, if I had to stand up and say, please don't do this, that is one thing that I would say. Um, let's get these dry land corners. Let's get the dry land up. And if you're a ways off right now uh, and you have those out there, go
4: ahead and get them. Yeah, just get them now. You're right now,
1: it does not matter. But I tell you, we have been thoroughly surprised at these hundred. 15 to 120 day peanuts dry land that's coming out of the ground because we're trying to save what's there 3500 pounds 2800 pounds not bad considering they hadn't had rain hardly so and some of those are are gra- actually grading you know and and being seg ones and so that's why we said go ahead and try to get those and so if it was me uh, you know try to save your crop and um, and do it but try to separate those out and uh, do the best job you can.
0: I got just a couple more comments with weeds, if I may. Sure. Um, you know, I guess today is uh, September 15th, right? So, we still have, if we get a frost, somewhere around November 5th, 15th for us here in Tifton is our frost date. So, we still have three months of excellent weather for weeds that have emerged after corn harvest to produce seed. For example... A uh, tropical spiderwort or bengal dayflower can produce can go from seed to seed in forty days, so there's ample time for weeds like that and Palmer amaranth to produce seed. So, just reminding our peanut growers that are also corn growers that the fall is an excellent time of the year to help manage both tropical spiderwort and Palmer amaranth from producing seed. Basically, we're you know we're not really getting an economic benefit from a Say uh, I don't. I hate to call it a fall application because we don't really. I mean, it, it is a fall application, but uh, to me, it's more of a post-harvest application, uh, and um, it's an opportunity for us to to prevent seed rain back into the field. But there's no economic benefit right now. But you're going to reap that benefit in the future with less weed seed produced in a field. With that said, I've had a lot of questions about spring. Uh, weeds in the field that already have seed on them. For example, uh, couple, right now, you know, everybody's finished harvesting corn and we're starting ready to dig peanuts, but um, for let's say I've got uh, Texas millet in the field and it's already got seed on it and you spray it with Roundup. Well, you're going to probably kill that plant, but that seed you're not going to affect. So if you want to keep plants from producing seed, they need to be sprayed before they have seed on there. Uh, so remember that now, you know, it may make you feel better that you've got a field of dead Texas millet out there, but you didn't really do anything to the seed production if it already had seed. Same with coffee yeah. weed. It's a it's a great concept. Hey, let's spray in the fall if I've got pat a lot of weeds in the field, but if they already have seed on them, you're not really doing the job that you will want to do.
1: So in that situation, would it be better if you could say, and I know everybody's busy, but that... They start to grow. You got a corn field and start weedy, getting weedy. Go in and mow it but, and then spray it.
0: Well, it's funny. I remember the last time I was on, we were talking about that. And and uh, one of the reasons that I wasn't on the peanut tour was we were in the midst of our corn harvest. So since we had talked, I took a couple of our fields and I mowed and I didn't mow, mowed and didn't mow. Okay. And then yesterday we just went in and made some applications of what I consider to be one of my best treatments And so then I'll have a better answer for you. I think if you've got giant weeds in there, you probably need to mow. Uh, But uh, it'll be interesting to see where we mowed and didn't. I I did like a mow, not mow, mow, not mow, no mow, not mow. And I'm spraying the whole field, leaving some checks in the field. So I'll have a better answer for you. Hey, I'm just happy to get people to think about doing something in the fall for for managing the seed bank. So if you mow or don't mow, I don't. You know, as long as you're doing something, I'm like, hey, good job. Let's let's keep spiderwort and pigweed from producing more seed that's going to bite us in the butt next year with the other crop we're going to rotate to.
1: You know, and I'll throw something out there for the guys that are within the one to two county area around Tiff County. Um, It would be to our advantage uh, and would help us out a lot. We we might be interested in trying to find a two-tower, three-tower pivot that we could sublease to do some of this different tillage work. Um, fall tillage and various things and work out a plan where the grower, you know, to make it beneficial for the grower, but uh, to kind of help us gauge some on-farm trials that we can do long-term work. Uh, So if anybody's interested in that uh, or have a pivot that they would give up some um, effort to, you know, I think it would help us out tremendously because we can't always do that on station. And so I would think, you know, we're we're kind of in the initial stages of trying to figure out where we can do that. And then from there, we'll try to figure out, all right, if a girl was interested, what would it take monetarily or whatever it might be to get him to be interested in letting us have it long term?
0: Okay. So. i make one other weak comment. I don't want to hog the end of the show here, but I don't know for, for this reason, this year more than others, I had a lot of questions about perennial weed control in peanuts. Things like horse nettle, goldenrod, dog fennel, maypop, passionflower, <laughs> uh, blue heliotrope—all um, these oddball, what I would consider to be fence row, weeds. fence row, or pet- <laughs> i.e. Right. Right. pasture weeds. Yeah. In a lot of scenarios, it was in peanut fields that were previously pastures. Yeah. So, if you're going to do that next year. You know, the fall is a good time of the year in a pasture for, or in any field to take to get an application of glyphosate on in the fall to help with perennial weed management in the next subsequent crops. And I was going to say, if you're a peanut grower, let's say you had horse nettle in the field. Right. And say I dug today and we pick in four days and then I would allow that horse nettle to regrow. And then once it gets as big as it's going to get and two weeks before first frost, we could hit it with some glyphosate, a couple of quarts of glyphosate or whatever, how much you want to spend. And that will help because in the fall of the year, what's happening with perennials in the spring, food is moving up to get the plant to grow. In the fall, food down. is moving down to to go to the underground reproductive structures in a lot of perennial weeds. So, the fall is a great time of the year to get glyphosate on, to move down into those uh, reproductive structures, and that helps you get long-term control. Now,
1: I don't know about you, Eric, but I know me and Mark both have scouted many a peanut and many a cotton, and the damn horse nettle is the devil's weed. I mean, mm-hmm. that, I have come out of fields with my legs bleeding more than well, there's, once I, or I, twice. I
0: can probably, I'm, and this isn't, I'm not making this up, like some people say stuff, Um I probably had at least twenty phone calls about horse nettle control in peanuts this year, and yeah, you know, my my usual response is we can put cadre and DB on them. It's going to slow it down. It'll keep it from producing berries, but that's about it. Yeah. If you really want to try to get rid of it, you can spray some glyphosate on it to try it, but you're going to kill the peanuts, obviously. Yeah. But we really got to think about a fall a fall management program, and then if we know we're going to be in a field that has perennial weeds. Let's not plant peanuts there if we can avoid it. Let's plant uh corn or soybeans or cotton that we can use Roundup and Dicamba or Roundup and 2,4-D in the crop, and that would help take care of some perennial weeds. Just remember about perennial weeds. They're perennials. That means they last longer for one year. It took more than one year for that weed to get there. Yeah. It's going to take yeah. way more than one year to get it out of a field. You're going to need – uh, multiple years of fall and spring applications of, of glyphosate in many cases to help get rid of perennial weeds. But in peanuts, let's try to avoid planting a peanut in a field where we know we've got perennial weeds because we don't have good herbicides for perennial weeds in peanuts. I got you.
1: Well, that'll
0: help us definitely down the
1: road, hopefully. Uh, But those are, I hate that doggone weed. You know, did you ever hear
0: called, when I was in Texas, everybody called it tread salve. When I first got there, they were like, man, I got tread salve. And I was thinking, (laughs) I'm not sure. Is that you got to have salve? Well, you got to, where do you rub that tread, where do you rub that (laughs) tread salve? (laughs) And then when we ultimately got down to it, it was, it was horse nettle. God knows. Tread salve. I just hated it. Just well, hated
4: I didn't. It. I, Scott uh, Scott told me he used to scout barefoot and in shorts, and I, I always wear long pants and boots. So I, I mean, it wasn't as bad, but I still I didn't like it. No, not at
0: all. Yeah, it
1: was, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know they didn't they didn't pay us enough in carrying yeah. car- <laughs> car- for shoes and all, so we yeah. we had to do the best we could. Uh, but. Anybody
0: see any snakes this year walking around in peanuts?
1: You know why um, do you always bring crap like that up?
0: Because like- <laughs> I
1: mean, you know, we're just now fixing to get going. And you want to bring up the whole snake thing. But no, I have not. I'm not Because I, I
0: think I, just last year, I think I showed you guys a picture. I had one go. A small, about, I don't know, 12-inch rattlesnake come all the way. I was bagging. It mm-hmm. made it all the way through. Got in the bag. About jumped off the combine. Uh, so uh, just be careful out there. There's uh, I did that there's snakes. Two, that-
1: two years ago at Ponder, I saw. I was kind of like you. I saw him go in the bag, and I was trying to figure out if I wanted to leave or if I wanted to throw it <laughs> in the bag, and I ended up throwing the bag. But luckily, I had the bag off of the hooks, mm-hmm. and so I just saw him, and it was right when I was fixing to pull it up, so yeah. I was able to throw it off, and then the student went up, went up ready
4: to grab the bag, and I said, yeah, you might want to leave that one alone. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to put a GoPro on a snake and see how how does he make it through? I mean, you'd have to be a little <laughs> tiny GoPro, but how in the devil does that joke yeah, I mean, make if, it? Yeah,
0: if we got our finger in there, it would it be gone. It
4: would be gone, gone, gone. and I you mean, know, it's like, I've seen mice, come, I've had mice dumped on me in the, in the wagon. I've had snakes, never rattlesnakes, but I've had snakes, and they don't look like anything's wrong with them.
1: No, but one thing is true about that, they are
4: pissed. Yes, they're very <laughs> angry when they come out of there. <laughs> can you
0: can you imagine? <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know how they do it. I
4: have no idea. That so, look—that's a, a dangerous place to be—is inside of a peanut. So pie. there you
1: go, Mark. That's saying if you can find the snake and find the a a little frozen, tiny smaller, GoPro smaller, you can put him. You in know, there. it might but you could probably get him on him. But I don't know if I'd mess with him coming off. Yeah,
4: I don't know. Maybe just do a rubber snake.
1: A rubber snake. Well, that probably wouldn't work, though. I don't know. That may or may not work. Um, All right. Any other topics? Anything else you all want to share? I would say we're going to be out and about pretty much um, doing our own harvest as well. But don't don't think we're going to forget about you out there. If you need something, give us a holler. Um, We'll be more than happy to come and help in any way that we can. Uh, Get with your agents. Take these samples in. Let's look at all your farms. Don't don't just look at one or the other and get started if you can. And um, got
4: a shade tree meeting
1: next week,
0: next Thursday and uh, uh, Ben Hill. Hill And
1: that's going to be on some varieties and all. So some of the newer varieties are going to be there. You know, and we've had four shade tree meetings?
4: It seems like a bunch. It seems like
1: a bunch sometimes but um, the one thing what we have noticed is we've had more growers at some of these and that's good. We want to have more people come out and see some of these new varieties because as we go into next year we will have a few more options, not a huge amount, but a few more options for our growers to look at and hopefully we'll start to you know work on a new variety that will be a little bit better no 6G or 06G on Tomato spotter Wheel. Uh, it's hard to say we're going to ever find something that out it yield-wise, but we've got a couple that look okay right now. So She's going
4: in the Hall of Fame no matter what.
1: Oh, my goodness <laughs> She's going in the Hall of Fame for certain. But um, yep. we'll just have to see. You know, And Georgia Green,
0: right? Georgia Green. Yeah, right beside Georgia Green. Georgia yep. Green. You know, when you think of peanut varieties, there's there's three that come to my mind, right? Flow Runner, mm-hmm. Georgia Green, and Georgia Zero 60. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And there were some others in yeah, there, there that no, were, like, pretty GK7s. GK7s were pretty good too. GK sevens, GK sevens were pretty good. And there, there was a lot um, that brought something to the table each time. And and sometimes we have these varieties that they seem like they're going to bring a lot, and they don't bring very much. And so we got to, and that's why we look at it a lot every year. So if you are in a county that has a variety trial, take a look at them. I mean, that's that's the thing these count these county agents are trying to do more and more for you. They're definitely doing more and more for me putting these out, so I'm glad they're helping um, because otherwise it would just be here, and we don't want that to happen. We want to get all the information that we can. Um, So, yeah, let us know if we can help in any way. Again, thank you for all the people that helped us on the peanut tour. That was a wonderful tour, Um, and we look to go to the next place in the state. I reckon we'll figure that out later in the year, first of the year. We'll figure out where we're going. And uh, we'll start setting that up and uh, let people know. But with that, this is episode 42, All About the Pod. Thank you for being here.